Michael commentary. So I'm going to not be sharing Persis's replies. Persis never replied via recording. She always replied via email, but those are something that I consider to be very sacred to me and very special. So we'll just stick with my recordings to her, and you can kind of hear me allude to her replies in these recordings. Now, something that I want to point out that was very noticeable to me in the first recording in the last part, part one of December, is you can hear this passion coming out of me, a fire and uh, a sense of just really strong conviction to get her to hear this message. I do very much recall, and I even am going to make a little bit of a hint about it here in this message to Persis you'll hear next, that I began to feel a sense of covering over this woman. I sensed this before in a few other people, and it's like where God would bring somebody across my path and say, put special attention and special time on this one. I literally have felt this happen. It even helped with one of my, it even happened with my dearest brother, Jared Tabai, who you've heard me tell so many stories about, where when he came into my life, it was the exact same sense spend extra time with this one. And God was causing me to to do that. It's I call it like a covering, like God saying, cover this one and pay special attention to this sheep. Not that all sheep are not special, but for my ministry, for my time, for that particular person's needs, that particular person's struggles, God brought them across my path for a reason and for a season and then said, take care and, and look over this one with some extra care. And without a doubt, I sensed that in the very first reading of Persis's email. It was an email that just grabbed my heart and would not let go and saying care for this young sheep. So here we are. This is the very next day. She's replied to me about that recording, which let's admit it was a little bit passionate at times. And she's a very gentle creature in India. Nonetheless, she is happy and she is now going to be receiving a reply from me in this next recording to her reply uh, via email to that first recording. May God bless you as you listen. Hi again, Persis, it's Michael. I, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. It looks like to me that you have said that um, your actual name is Persis. What a neat name. I hope again I'm pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm not. And sister, I am so blessed to hear that you were so blessed. I think I told you in the recording that I knew I could feel God's love for you. And I knew that if God had you reach out to me, that he was trying to reach through to you. And I am so, so thankful uh, that you even took the time to send a reply to let me know how much um, God touched you with that. That is just beautiful, just beautiful. And I have to tell you, I just have just a couple of quick minutes here before I meet a friend. I was going to tell you that it is so neat. I have another gentleman. His name is Ipe Uman, I-Y-P-E, that I communicate with, I keep in contact with from India. He was the first person that contacted me from India. And he was going through some really difficult times. And I've just, I adore him and, and uh, we've kept in contact a, a good bit. But the thing I wanted to tell you, which was so um, amazing, is my favorite favorite all-time minister of every person I've ever listened to comes from India. And his name is Zach Poonen. P-O-O-N-E-N. I'm not sure if you've heard of him or not. Perhaps you have. I know sometimes a prophet has no honor in his own home country. But Zach Poonen is just an extraordinary man of God. I have listened to many, many, many of his sermons in the last few months. I, I think I was introduced to him by one of my subscribers from um, an island called Ibiza, which is off the coast of Spain. And this person had told me about him. And I just, I love him so much. He's such a great, wonderful, God-fearing man who teaches the truth. And I, I pray if you haven't already heard of him, that you would tap into his ministry it's called cfcindia.com. That's like Christ Fellowship Center India.com. cfcindia.com. His name is Zach Poonan. He's from Bangalore. I'm not really sure. I know that's in southern India. I'm not really sure where um, you're from. but And I know India is huge. Anyhow, again, I'm just so thankful, uh, sister, that 
you were encouraged like that. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that if you'll just wait in patience and you'll just seek God with everything. First of all, I saw that you had liked perhaps uh, some post I had on Facebook and I saw your picture and Persis, you are a very, very beautiful young lady. Very beautiful young lady. So God has blessed you not only uh, on the on the inside with a heart for Jesus Christ, but he's blessed you on the outside. You are a very beautiful young woman. So you are, I promise you, if you will just wait and trust God, just trust him. You know, Persis, I'm doing the same thing. I'm waiting for God to provide me what I believe he has already shown me is my wife. I met her three and a half years ago. And then God said, now wait. And I've been waiting for three, almost three and a half years. And God has taught me so much through waiting. I have learned so much and been learning patience and learning how to trust God and wait upon him. And in the process, I have gotten to the place where my desire used to be so strong for her, so strong. And I would be very upset. Why did God show me this you know, beautiful woman and give me a promise for a wife because I was thrown away. I did not want to be divorced, but my wife threw me away. She became um, very hard-hearted when I began to tr really trust Jesus Christ. So I was left by an unbeliever where the Bible says, if an unbeliever leaves, let them leave. The believing spouse is no longer bound because God has called us to live in peace. So she would not take relationship with God seriously and she left me and then became very evil towards me and it has turned out to be the best blessing God has ever given me is through the evil that came through my ex-wife because God needed to change so many things in me and he uses suffering to bring about character development and now I have this amazing relationship with the father and I have this incredibly strong faith in him and I'm willing to wait. And the point I was going to tell you is I waited so long and God gave me such unbelievable contentment that I got to a place where I said, okay, Lord, I can live without her. I don't have to have her anymore. If I have to be single for the rest of my life, God, I will be okay with just you. And Persis, I beg you, I beg you to give God the opportunity to do that in your heart. He knows the desire of your heart to be married and to have a husband. He knows that. He knows my desire to be a husband of a wife. He knows how strongly I have that desire and how strongly you have that desire. And so what I want to tell you is God's desire is for you to delight yourself fully in Him Psalm 37, 4, and then he will give you the desire of your heart because God's concern is that if he blesses us with those things that we desire so much that it will take us away from him and it will replace him being the center of our heart with another person and he doesn't want that. And so when you find everything in Jesus and, and you get to this place where you're so content that you say, Lord, I could be single for the rest of my life you could be my husband and my father and my best friend and my Lord and my King. And when you get to that place, you can't, you can't work it up. This isn't something that you can produce on your own. This is something that only God can give you and it comes from inside out. And it doesn't take away your desire, but your desire for God is so much stronger that you have a contentment and a peace to be able to wait for God to meet your other desire. And then when God brings the desire of your heart to you, this man, whoever he happens to be, you will be able to love him out of the overflow of God's love for you and your love for God, rather than you going into the relationship so desperate to have your needs met by another human being. And I can tell you, Persis, it's very hard to find a godly partner, a godly spouse, and that is what you want. You want to wait. I'll give you an example. God had showed me 
this woman, and then I really believe God told me that she was my, is, and is to be my wife. But many times I've said, Father, your will be done, not mine. And I've often said, Lord, if for any reason I've heard you wrong, or if, if this woman does not love you like I do, and she doesn't have a heart that burns hot for you, Jesus, I am not interested. I do not want to have her because there's nothing that will contribute to your happiness or your unhappiness more in this life than your marriage. So who you marry, you know, you may think to yourself, Persis, wow, I'm not married yet and my life is passing me by and I'm just going to grow old and die. First of all, I want to say I love it that you realize that that is not what life is about, just growing old and doing nothing and dying. I'm so happy to hear that you know that there is much more important things in this life than just seeking jobs and income and, and relationships and, you know, just living. But the point that I want to, I, I, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but the point that I was trying to make is if you will wait, God will so bless, I truly believe this, and I'm believing it for myself too, that God will so bless you in the relationship that he gives you, Persis, that first of all, it will seem as if no time at all that you waited, and then the years that you have will be extraordinary. They'll be extraordinary. And if you don't follow that, and you marry the wrong person, your life will be a living hell. It will be like you can't even imagine, Persis. And so that's why you want to wait. And, and if I can just say this to encourage you, I had gotten married when I was 20, uh, 22 years old, just almost just ready to turn 22 in a couple of days. So I was actually 21. And my wife was 19 getting ready to turn 20. And because I didn't wait on God's timing and because I didn't have his wisdom, I married the wrong person. And God would show me years later, even after the divorce, Michael, I did not put that marriage together. You did. I didn't wait for his best. I didn't have the wisdom to know that God could provide this for me. And so I got ahead of God. And I just want to encourage you not to do that, dear sister, to just be willing to wait. And don't be like so many other sisters that run into a marriage because they want so badly to be married. And then they yoke themselves with a half-hearted you know, unbelieving man and their life is miserable and you're stuck living that life for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, you would be much happier to be single and, and have your, your, your Jesus alone be your everything than for you to marry the wrong person and end up miserable for the rest of your life. That's why as strong as my desire is, I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for his best for my life. And I believe he's already shown me who she is and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So I, I encourage you to just do the same thing. I encourage you to do the same thing and just wait for God's very best. And I know that he will bless you because I know that he's pleased. You're already putting, you're already putting him first in your life. So I am just so thankful. And I just pray that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to bless you. And I'm going to send you a recording and it's about my own journey of waiting on God and how I learned so much in this area and how I had to deny myself for many, many years and, and how God blessed it. But just remember, I'm 42 years old. I just am trying to tell you that I had to start over when I was 37 years old. That's when my wife left. I had to completely start over from scratch. And I am so looking forward to the new life that I will have with my new wife when God sees fit, that I will have no regrets whatsoever. And think about how many more years ahead of me you are if you get it right now. I promise you, sister, I promise you, I promise you, you will be so blessed that you waited. And, and other people will say, oh, this is why it took so long. This is why she waited. This is why she didn't compromise. I just want to end with this. God knows you by name. 
and he looks down from his throne upon you and he knows you and he calls you and he weeps over you and he delights over you and he adores you, Persis. And I'm going to tell you why. Because you put him first. Anybody that would say no, particularly in your culture, that would say no to a six-year relationship and you would deny yourself marriage because of the fact that you didn't want to be unequally yoked, because you put Christ first, sister, there are not very many people that would do that. There are not very many people, especially in America, that would ever do something like that. So you are to be praised. Not only are you a beautiful woman inside and out, you're a beautiful woman outside, but look at what that Proverbs 31 says. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so I praise you as my sister. May God richly bless you as you continue to wait. And when I get back from spending some time up on the trail with a friend of mine, I'll send you that recording, okay? And feel free if you have any questions to send back. And, and if you get a chance, tell me a little bit more about you know your life in India. I really am fascinated by that stuff um, that I've learned about in India. God bless you, sister. Bye-bye. This is incredible, absolutely incredible of our Father. It's December 8th, 2015. I've just reached the top of the hill up here at Pikes Peak Drive, and I've been walking up and down praying about and for Laura. And I felt prompted to make a recording here about something, and I click the phone on, and it's 311. Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 11. The day that King Solomon was crowned by his mother, the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. And I had just five minutes, ten minutes earlier, lifted my hands and said, God, my crown is coming. God, my wife of noble character, 9.55. This morning, Gustavo sends me a text. He says, I forgot to send this to you yesterday. While he was listening to a recording, he looked down and saw that it was 212212 twice. He sends me the picture. What he fails to see and recognize is that at the end of the recording, it's 29 minutes and 55 seconds. And I wrote back and said, Gustavo, did you see that it ends, the recording ends at 9.55? A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. So there's 212-212-9.55. I took a picture of my refrigerator. <clears throat> Where on the left-hand side is the picture of me at Starbucks, the shadow of me asking Laura to have coffee. To the right of that is a post-it note with 212. You have given him the desire of his heart. You have granted him the desire of his heart. You have not withheld the request of his lips. 212, 212 in every corner. And just to the right of that, 955, Proverbs 12:4. a wife of noble character is her husband's crown on page 955 in my Bible. And I was like, wow. On top of that, my mom told me last night, oh, guess who I saw on television today? I said, you saw Laura. She said, yeah. For the first time, my mom saw Laura on the television commercial that she's on. So that happened yesterday, the same day he saw the 212-212. Incidentally, I saw 212 this morning while I was working. Then shortly after I leave, I'm driving down the road, I see a blue car license plate, 212. And then today I received an email from Persis in India having now just connected Persis, Melissa, and Hosanna um, as three sisters, she writes me this long thank you email, and at the very end, she says, by the way, I heard your message about Laura, and I believe she will be a very blessed woman to have you, somebody who's so passionate about Jesus Christ. May God unite you too soon. And I thought, wow, look how sweet and how loving that was, how, how just encouraging it was to me. I had tried to send her a voice recording about waiting on God so that she would have patience and be encouraged herself. And she turned around and sent that back and just so blessed me. 
So then I'm on this hill today and I'm thinking about how everything in me is wanting to move forward. For example, today is Tuesday, December 8th. Today is where Laura is working at that particular place that she's at on Tuesdays. And a friend of mine has said multiple times, I don't understand how you have not gone and just walked through the place. And God has given me so much grace to just wait. And although the temptation has been there for me to move ahead, there has been also a greater amount of contentment to wait and trust. And today I have this desire in my heart that I've asked God to please help me to not do anything to move forward and try to put this thing together because I want to rest every day and every night in my relationship with her for the rest of my life with her knowing and me knowing unequivocally without fear of contradiction or doubt that God himself is the one who put this relationship and marriage together. If I move forward and I try to put this thing together, it's possible I could do it. It's possible that I could walk into the place where she's at today and muster up enough charm and plead with her enough to convince her to have that coffee with me that she said she would have with me three years and three months ago. But to do so without God's permission would be to get ahead and attempt to manipulate the circumstances saying, I don't yet trust you or I have tired, I have become tired of waiting. So I was thinking about how another huge benefit of me being willing to wait is that it puts God's signature of approval on the fact that I'm a man who was divorced by his wife. There's all kinds of people that have worries and concerns about divorce and remarriage and they're not understanding the principles of this as taught in God's word. And by my waiting, it will put my own story and my own confidence, it will boost my confidence in this. There will never be anybody who will be able to look down upon this marriage that God himself approved by putting it together through his sovereignty. By my waiting for God to act and for God to put this together, It will provide enough comfort, perhaps, to even Laura's heart that it's okay in God's eyes for her to move forward in this marriage. Perhaps those same implications will carry over to her children who may be reserved in wanting her mom, their mom, to to consider marriage again. Perhaps they, they, they don't want another man to try to replace their father, which I certainly would not do. But by waiting for God... To put this together, everybody in the family, including Laura's parents, including her in-laws, former in-laws, I'm sure she still considers them her in-laws, but to help everybody understand, uh, this was not done by two people who just fell in love and uh, threw principles of God out the window and didn't care what anybody else said or thought and just put this together. But no, this was a marriage made in heaven that God himself chose us for one another. And I'll live with this great confidence. And as I was walking up this hill, I said, my God, I've already seen you do so many wonderful things. But God, this is going to be unlike any other. This is going to be a miracle. And I know that if I were to move forward and try to do anything to put this together, that people would doubt that this was put together by God. People could always somehow or another reason it out that it was just a coincidence. But if I wait, risking everything that I have, passing up what what could be other people who, you know, could be matches for me, uh, worse, Letting Laura remain single knowing that other men are certainly pursuing her. And that for sure she could be just snatched up. And yet, I resolve to trust God. Because I believe God has put my name and drawn a circle around her out in the future. And nobody can take away anything from us that God himself has given us. And I know that if I wait... It will put an end to any doubt. Nobody will ever say, oh, this was just a coincidence. Because God has known deep down in my heart, just as much as my desire, if not more, 
is my desire for Laura, but is my desire to see God glorified in this. I want my children to know and her children to know that they can wait for God for his very best for them, that they don't have to manipulate, they don't have to grab, that they can wait and trust God. And perhaps it's going to be soon. I don't know. I don't know God's timing. It's not for me to know until he decides to tell me, but I'm paying very close attention. And the other final point is that I cannot express this enough, how impossible it would have been for me to wait this long for Laura in my own strength. If God literally had not been involved, I'm not saying this to try to throw some cheap, superficial, insincere accolades God's way. I'm speaking the truth. If it was not for all these times that God has shown me the 212 and the 955, for all the times that God has given me dreams of Laura, and it isn't interesting that what it was just two, two weeks ago, I had the dream where she finally said yes. After three and a half years of waiting almost for her, all those dreams were me pursuing her and her constantly being aloof. And I finally have had a dream where she said yes. If it, if it hadn't been for God doing all of these things and, and giving me a way out when temptation came, when other women came across my path, or other people tried to get me to, to be in a relationship with somebody else, playing matchmaker... If it weren't for God's unbelievable grace, I could have never done it. I'm too weak. Uh, This is a perfect example of what it means to yield our weakness to Christ. And that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. When somebody hears this story, will they not be able to say with their own eyes, this is in fact the true grace of God? 1 Peter 5.12 Will they not be able to declare God Himself is the one who put this together and sustained Michael, there's no way he could have waited. God is the one that is preserved for his glory. My patience, my ability to endure and wait on him. And the final point I want to make is, God even showed me how the temptation to either move ahead, to try to pursue Laura on my own, the temptation to to sometimes quit and give up, and say, you're chasing a fantasy? The temptation to perhaps pursue or be entertaining of an idea of another woman being tempted in that direction, that even that temptation is a good thing. God showed me this morning when I was getting ready that Jesus resisting temptation to Satan was really a blessing to God because Jesus had that strong desire. When there is a desire, see, Jesus couldn't have been tempted by the devil if he had no desire. So he had to have some desire for the things that the devil was offering or it wouldn't have been a temptation. And so some people might say, oh, wow, Jesus must not love God so much or he wouldn't have been tempted. No. It shows that he loved him even more because in spite of the fact or in the face of that strong desire and that strong temptation, he still said no. And so it has been for me. I think sometimes I've beat myself up a little bit about feeling, how could I love Lars so much and still be tempted to either quit or to move ahead, not wait, or to move after somebody else? How could I even ever have those tempting thoughts? And God has helped me to see That the fact that I have waited, the fact that I have denied myself, and the fact that I have been patient in the face of all that temptation shows how much I do love her and how much I love God. If she were the only desire on this planet that I was capable of having, how could it be said anything else about me other than the fact that I would be some sort of a robotic lover? Isn't it true that God would look upon us the same way? That if we had no desire for anything else in the world or any person in the world, how could we not be seen from heaven as just spiritual robots? Mindlessly, numbingly, chasing after the one and only desire we have. No, what really pleases God, the lover of our soul, 
is when he sees that we've chosen him in spite of other pressing, real, and strong desires. And so it will be for myself as I choose Laura to wait for her. God is to be praised. May God just continue to give me the grace to wait. The grace to wait so that he is glorified. I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited. It seems like it could be just around the corner. And again, I have no idea. It might be years away, but I've been asking the Father to please be pleased to grant me my future wife. My mom has thought for sure that God would have to fix my finances first before, and that really basically means just to provide some before he would bring Laura into my life. I, on the other hand, challenge that thinking because when I think of two situations, um, Hudson Taylor in particular and Zach Poonin, neither one of them had full-time jobs or salaries. They had no money, and they neither one of them had very much to offer their future wives. And one was Annie Poonin, and the other one was Maria. And God still provided for them. Both of the women were in better financial situations than the husbands were. And the women chose to step down. I'll tell you another example is Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray's wife, uh, when she went with Andrew Murray, she would step down into a much lower socioeconomic status than what she had been living in. So when God does a marriage, the finances are not necessary. God does not look down and say, oh, I can't give Michael over to Laura yet until he has some finances because uh, she's not going to love him, feel secure with him, um, have any dignity with him as a man until he has a great income. I mean, how foolish is that? Honest to goodness, how foolish is that? If it can be said of Michael Criswell that God is for me, who or what could be against me or who or what could lower my value as a husband to her? That's what I have to believe in by faith. Sure, there's been a time where I always would say, Oh God, restore my finances. I don't say that now. If I met Laura tomorrow, I would have no problem telling her, Look, Laura, I don't have any finances right now because I'm living as a full-time minister to other people and I don't charge them for it. And I live in faith waiting upon God. I don't ask anybody for money. And I haven't taken a vow of poverty, but I'm okay being in poverty my wealth is in my heart, not in my bank account. And quite honestly, I think if you'll give me an opportunity, perhaps God will help you to see that I am one of the wealthiest people I think I know. And perhaps that kind of wealth would suffice for you and I having a great relationship. Not because, oh, I happen to have a steady job. How many people have steady jobs that are completely half-hearted Christians, ungodly, don't care anything about the things that matter in the world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a decent income, but it certainly is not where my value comes from. I'm worth far more now with no money than I ever was when I had the millions of dollars that were coming in through that business over those couple of years. It's probably more appropriate to say hundreds of thousands because even though it was a couple million dollars, it was not my income. My income was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but... Nevertheless, my point is that as God had said to me that one time, Michael, you're worth far more to me. It just comes to me now. Thank you, Lord. Walking down the street, crying, seeing pictures of myself holding that check that I had gotten for 250000 and another one coming right behind it. And, and then now I had $26 in my checking account for like three days straight. And I just kept saying to the Lord, how is this possible? How am I ever going to be useful and valuable? How did this happen? And God helped me say, help me to know, Michael, you're far more useful to me now with the $26 in your account than you ever were with the quarter of a million dollars. I'll never forget that. I, I will never forget that I didn't understand it, but I'll never forget that he said that. God is to be praised. Good morning, Persis. It's Michael. I am so blessed uh, by your email, and I wanted to try to go through it here and reply to you. So you are very, very welcome for the opportunity to connect uh, to the other sisters. It's my greatest honor and joy to try to connect people um, that are lonely. And it seems to me that so many people, including myself for a long time, feel isolated 
all alone in our suffering. So it kind of helps sometimes to have some people around you that you know you're not alone. And just be patient. I know Melissa is very, very busy. She's a full-time Bible college student and worker. And she's also going through some of her own personal challenges. And she even expressed concern that she doesn't even feel like she has the capacity to be a good friend right now. And so she's already feeling a little bit anxiety about that. And I'm going to send her a message right behind you, ensuring her that, you know, this isn't a race and just trust God, whatever God wants to do with you guys and uh, give time. All good relationships take time. So just hold it loosely. In other words, trust God for it. If, if something wonderful comes out of it, Persis, praise God. If nothing comes out of it, praise God. Give God thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, okay, you also say you're confused about the future and your career and you don't want to be, while you do want to be in ministry, you're not sure what God's will is for you. I will tell you that in one of your earlier emails where you mentioned you had quit your job, I felt a bit of concern because sometimes we make a snap reaction and we move before God tells us to move. A lot of times we say, well, I want to be godly and I cannot do ungodly work and live for God. And so I'm going to quit my secular job and I'm going to go serve God. And that can lead to a disaster, if nothing more than a big disappointment in your heart if God has not yet called you to do that. Now, don't panic because God is mighty merciful to our ignorance, meaning when we don't understand one of His ways and we have yet to learn it, if we step outside of it and make a mistake because we didn't know it, God will be merciful to us and He will help gently get us back on track. So even if you have made a mistake, and I'm not sure that you have, your heart will tell you and God will tell you, God can turn it all around. So be encouraged in this, okay? But I will tell you that I was a bit concerned to hear about you jumping. See, one of the principles in Scripture is that we don't put God to the test. When Satan is tempting Jesus and says, you know, throw yourself down off of the temple here. If you really are the Son of God, God will command His angels concerning you. They'll lift your foot up. You won't even strike your foot against a stone. Satan was quoting the Bible, perfect word for word, Psalm 91.1 to Jesus. But Jesus said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what that would mean is, we don't put ourselves in situations thinking that we're doing it in faith and then expecting God to save us or forcing God's hand in order to have to save us. Many people start businesses, ministries, careers, relationships, and they jump in faith and they just think, this is faith. I'm called to live a life of faith and I'm just going to jump and do this. And that's actually putting God to the test. Faith is, the, is the, the principle. It is the vehicle. It is the mechanism that God uses to move us into His will, not so that we can move Him into our will. So if I'm standing on the top of a building and I say, I have faith and I'll just jump and God will save me. God may save me, not likely, but God may save me. And if he did, it would be that I put him to the test and I forced God's hand. My faith was moving God rather than God using faith to move me. Do you see the difference? And so I used to have the kind of faith where I had faith in faith and I made decisions. I leaped before I looked and I didn't wait to hear God. And in fact, sometimes... Like when I started my Lord's Gym business, there were warning signs, God trying to show me yield signs. Don't go this way. But I, but I ignored them, and I just kept going, and I suffered for it. So what you want to do is trust that the Father will speak very clearly to you about this and that He will help you to have good understanding in what His will is. Typically what you want to do, Persis, is 
you want to make whatever secular work you do spiritual. Okay, look, only maybe, I think Zach Poonin is the one who says it, only one out of a thousand Christians are typically called into full-time Christian work. It's a very small number. And there's a lot of confusion about this subject because a lot of people see how dead and meaningless working in the secular world is. But the fact of the matter is, the answer is not always to leave the dead secular work and try to go be a minister for Jesus. In fact, many times God leaves some of His choice servants right where they're at so they can be a light to those who are still in the dark. And the secular work that seems dead and useless can become a very beautiful spiritual work simply by how you direct your focus. Let's give you an example. Let's say some people want to have the argument and say, but if I'm always working a secular job, I never have time for Jesus. I never have time to make my life spiritual or to even think about Him. And I say hogwash, and here's why. Think for a second back in the early days, perhaps with your future, uh, your former boyfriend that you were in love with, if you were. If not, let's even say your future husband, okay? The man that God will choose for you and you will be deeply in love with him, all right? Let's say you still have a job to do, like you have to provide for yourself and you work at a job. Would anybody have to force you or teach you or try to encourage you to think about your husband while you're working? Or would it not be more likely that because you were so in love with your husband that you would be distracted sometimes from your work and you would have to force yourself to think about your work rather than your husband? Do you see the point I'm making? When you love somebody that much, no one has to force you, to teach you, to train you, or to discipline you to think about that person. You think about them all the time. And this is the way it can become with the Father. You can enjoy such sweet fellowship, such tangible, almost tangible presence of His in your life, that no matter where you go, whether you're in the shower, I mean, Persis, I praise my Father almost nonstop. In fact, sometimes I'll find myself sitting doing my work and I'll go, Lord, it's been a few minutes since I've said anything. I need to speak up and praise you and think about you and I'll just turn my heart immediately to Him, okay? But I praise Him all the time, whether I'm fixing breakfast, getting ready in the morning, driving down the road. I'm always cultivating the presence of the Lord. And nobody has to tell me this. I didn't, I didn't get this way because I heard a good sermon or because I have an accountability partner, or because I have a personal pastor friend who's teaching me this. No, it's because I'm in love. I'm in love with my father. I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about him. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm thinking about him. He knows, even though I desire so much my future wife, Laura, he knows so much I desire him more. Because he realizes when I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about him, not her. I remind myself to think about her and to pray for her. And, and God will bring her even to my mind sometimes. But God is the one who has captured my heart. He is the one that makes my joy overflow. And so my point is, whatever I do, whether working on videos or painting a fence at my parents' house or digging post holes for their, uh, you know, their fence in the backyard or washing and waxing my car or cleaning the house, whatever I do, it may seem like, oh, this isn't making any difference in heaven's world. In heaven's perspective, this is a dead work. No, you know what? I am delighting in the Lord in those moments. I'm bringing Him Persis, into that work. I do. I try to do everything I do. The Bible says, whatever you do, work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. For it is the Lord God who will give you this reward for the work. So whatever you do. Now, I want to tell you this. I struggled a long time with the work question. Now, as you know, 
God clearly called me into the ministry at one point. So I would be one of those, probably one in a thousand, that God called me away from secular work. It was a very clear call. There was no question about it whatsoever, that God was calling me into full-time vocational work for him, away from my secular job, okay? Um, when I, before I went down this road, before that happened, I began to really fret, worry, anxious about what do I do work-wise, spirituality-wise, ministry-wise? How do I do all this? Do I juggle it? Do I do this? What should I do? What kind of work should I do? And one thing God helped me to see was that God does not get so caught up in what we do for work like we think He does. And I'm speaking of your job now, okay? So as an example, I, I noticed you mentioned Amazon. You worked at Amazon, probably a distribution center of some kind, I'm not sure, or perhaps a call center. Um, when you worked in that job, you could have done that job or let's say another job uh, picking cotton in fields. I know that's a very low example, but I'm just saying there's two jobs. Just go with me on this. If you chose one of those jobs over the other, the Lord is not so concerned about which of those jobs you take. But what the Lord would say to you is this. He would say, Persis, I have given you these kind of talents, these kind of interests, and these kind of abilities. It's wise. I'm not, man I'm not mandating this. I'm not demanding that you do this. But it's wise, Persis, if you... Find out how I have wired you, how I have made you, and find a job as best as you possibly can, given your socioeconomic status, the country you're in, so forth and so on, the job opportunities, to find something that makes the most sense for the talents and abilities and desires that you have. If you can choose, God would tell you to choose. Just as Paul says, if you can have your freedom, get your freedom. But if not, serve your masters with all dignity and honor, even more so because they are believers. So what he would say to you is, if you're in a position to choose what kind of job you want, choose wisely. Choose something that matches so that you'll have some sense of dignity and not live frustrating. For example, I would never choose to try to become a medical doctor or a history teacher. God has not wired my brain with the capacity to memorize tremendous amount of facts. I would never be able to do that. No matter how much I desired it, I couldn't do it. It makes an awful lot more sense for somebody like me, who's a storyteller, who's emotional, who understands people's feelings and really enjoys speaking to people's hearts, to start a storytelling business, which is what I did for a time. I had a business called Sticky Story Productions, and I started my own little business, helping entrepreneurs and some ministries tell their story. It was just a wise intersection in my life of what I was good at and what I enjoyed. So think about this, Persis. Since you live in a country where you have freedom, think about what is the intersection of what you like and what you are good at. So I may like Medicine, I don't. I'm just giving an example, but I'm not good at it. So those, those don't intersect. But I really enjoy video work, and I was really pretty naturally gifted at storytelling. They intersected, you see? So that's where I found this business. Now, if I didn't have what it took to make an entrepreneur uh, venture, then I would have perhaps found a company I could have gone to work for. Again, if you have a choice, choose. Then once you choose, you can make that secular dead work spiritual by what you harbor in your heart, what you bring in your heart, your focus on God. For example, if you were in a factory making widgets all day long, each one you could do for the glory of God. Each one you could be mindful of Him. Father, I'm working as unto you, and you, my sister 
could be a greater blessing to God in that seemingly menial dead work than 10,000 lukewarm, mindless, half-hearted, professing, believing Christians or even pastors who are out full-time, quote, working for God. I'm telling you, sister, what I'm speaking to you is the truth. God is more concerned about your heart position and His relationship with you first and foremost than He is in you doing anything for Him. And another thing that you have to think about, if you are called into the ministry, it will be years before God calls you. He may give you a call, but He may tell you to sit for a long time. I heard one man say it takes average God 10 years to make a man or woman of God. It's rare that God just immediately pulls somebody right off the bench and puts them in the game. Yes, it happens. There are those rare stories, but on average, God will usually build and train a person for service in his ministry for many, many years. It takes a lot of testing, a lot of proving, a lot of breaking, a lot of study. Because if God's going to put you into the, to the mission field, he knows there's going to be, that's where the war is at. That's where the most amount of attack is. And you have to be strong. And he knows that his enemy will exploit any weakness. So if you go into a ministry and you have a little bit of a fear here or a little bit of an unforgiveness here or a little bit of misunderstanding here, God knows that he's making you vulnerable. So what you want to consider is if it's your heart's desire to serve the Lord, make sure you're following the principle of John uh, 5.19, where Jesus speaks very clearly this idea that he does not do anything but only what he sees his Father doing that he can do nothing on his own, and that it is the Father who is at work in him. That's one thing God has had to spend a lot of time teaching me, is the difference between my will to serve God and God's will for me to serve God. I could sit about and do all kinds of things, but if we choose to work for God and try to do work that he's not blessing it will be an empty, dead work. And let me tell you this, my dear precious sister. If you were going to choose between two, quote, dead works, this is the one you would want to choose. You would, you would be wiser to choose working in a secular job that you feel means nothing to God. And to work as unto the Lord in your heart as much as you possibly can without being distracted away from the focus of your work. You would be much more pleasing to God to do that, much more. I can't even tell you, the Spirit of Christ in me is telling, <laughs> wanting me to put an exclamation mark on this. You would be far more pleasing to God to do that than you would to attempt to go out and work in His field without Him asking you to do so and to do something that He has not called you to do, although you would be calling it by His name. I attempted to do this. I've attempted to do it a couple of times. And God has had to show me, no, I didn't ask you to do this. You'd be better to do nothing. And I couldn't understand this. See, so many of us, when we come into a relationship with Christ, we have this emotional high in our heart. And we want so much to forsake everything and follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes he says, no. Mark 5, 19, when the Gerasian man had been set free from demons and the man begged Jesus, let me go with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus tells him, no. He says, go back home and tell all that the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So you can see there that it's more important to, to follow specifically what the Lord wants us to do than it is to just try to, well, it says to go serve and follow the Lord, so I'm going to go serve and follow the Lord. There is a principle, 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So there's certain things that you can be doing. There are certain gifts that you can use without having to actually be in a ministry of sorts. The talents and gifts that he's given you, you can put them in play 
all the time without having to wait for God to tell you. You never have to wait for God to tell you to encourage somebody. You never have to wait for God to tell you to forgive somebody. You never have to wait for God to tell you to pray for somebody. You see, unless he tells you not to, you know that you have free reign to walk into those things. And you can do this in a secular job or in ministry. Now, I think the final point that I want to share with you, and then you can ask me questions if you have any about this, is it is a good thing to work. The Bible says that the majority of us should work doing something useful with our hands so that we can help others who are in need. And for us to not be idle, that idleness is is not good. Now, I don't have a salary, but I work harder than most people. My parents will tell you that I'm one of the harder working people they know because, and it's a, it's a work of love. I work hard. I try to help people and I work as unto the Lord and he gives me a tremendous amount of grace. I work a lot more hours for the Lord for a far, far, far less pay than I ever did working either for myself or someone else. Okay? So keep in mind that there's nothing wrong with with having a job and doing some work. Even Paul built tents for a time when he could. Okay? There's nothing noble about building tents. There's nothing noble about breaking up rock or whatever a lot of people do today. Sometimes that's just a basic necessity of life to meet one's needs and to help other people meet their needs. So I would consider you, and I feel in in my spirit for you, to help you get some balance in your thinking on this. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And that if you're going to go into ministry, Persis, you need to hear very clearly from the Lord. And I promise you, God will make it clear. Now, you have to filter God's calling through your own desires. And you have to be careful. Sometimes we can hear things that really it's our own imagination telling us. And we think God is telling us because it's something we so desperately want to hear. So I promise you that God can make your calling of any kind that He wants to call you into, He can make it very clear to you. I know myself a few ministers that became pastors and then years later quit and gave up. I know I can think of two men off the top that I was very close to that were both full-time ministers and they quit the ministry. I don't see any precedent for something like that in Scripture. I don't see in Scripture where God calls you into the ministry and then says, oh, well, now you can just go back and go to secular work. I'm done using you. Is it possible? Sure. But more likely, these were men who got ahead of God's call in their life. That these were men who perhaps didn't hear or wait from the Lord very clearly. It could be they got ahead of Him in timing or they went in a direction that He never called them to. And there could be all kinds of things. It could also be spiritual warfare, the devil trying to take people out. There's no doubt about it. But it happens a lot. So be very, very careful. Like, I can't imagine God ever calling me to leave ministry and go back and work. I I, I wanted to for a time. But I just can't imagine. Now, if he did, I would certainly do it. Certainly do it. But I cannot imagine... As I, as I can't imagine of any of God's great saints that he's ever called, I can't recall any major stories where a person retired from the ministry and went back to just a regular job and didn't finish what God had called them to do. There's no need. If you can still talk, you can still minister. So I'm getting on a little bit of a tra- uh, rabbit trail here, but I just hope that you'll prayerfully consider. And Father, I want to pray for you right now. Father, For my sister Persis, Lord, my precious sister Persis, whom you have saved by your grace. Oh my God, you are to be praised. God, you are to be praised, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that by an act of your providence, God, you looked down and saw her broken heart. Oh my God, and you saved her. You saved her, Lord, from the despair of wanting to take her own life, of feeling useless, God. And you brought her across the story or or, or my videos. God, thank you, Father. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray somehow or another she builds an altar to that in her heart. 
that she remembers when you reached in and pulled her out of the waters, that you saved her. Lord God, may it never be that she forgets this, especially, Lord, in the dark days ahead that will surely come, the times to test her faith. God, may it be Psalm 105.5, she looks back remembering the wonders you have done and the judgments you have pronounced. Oh, Jesus, help her to keep her eyes upon you. And Lord, I'm asking you to be merciful on this sister. Lord, she's not had anybody in her life, God, that could teach her about you. Really, Lord, and that could help her and encourage her. Father, that reminds me an awful lot of myself as I'm crying out to you. God, have mercy on me. I didn't have a father or somebody who could teach me these things. I've had to learn all of this on my own. Those are the words I cried out to you, Father. And now, Lord, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, Father, to be merciful to Persis. Lord, if she has gotten ahead of you by quitting her job, Lord, I'm asking you to be merciful to her. I'm asking you to restore her to a job, the job, whatever, to help her. But, Father, I'm asking you to please, God, please, Lord, give her clear guidance. If you have not already done so, give her clear guidance, Lord, and give her wisdom and understanding. She's humbled herself as a child before you, I'm sure, Lord. And now I pray, Father, that you meet her faith, that you help her to know and help her to find either the right job or, God, if you are calling her into ministry, what it would look like and when would be the appropriate time. Help her, Father, to be a good steward of the time that she has here and help her not to get ahead of you. Help her to understand the principle that sometimes... You hold us back, and sometimes you push us forward, but that, like it says in the Psalms, let us not be like a horse or a mule, which need to be controlled by bit or bridle because they don't have understanding. So one of them is trying to stay put and not wanting to move ahead, the mule. And the other one, Father, is wanting to race ahead of you. That was me for sure. And they must be controlled if they don't have good understanding. God, give her good understanding. She fears you. And Lord, I can tell her heart is committed to you. So Daddy, I'm asking you for mercy for her. I'm asking you to bless her, Father, by your Spirit. Anoint her with understanding. Give her peace in her heart. Oh Lord, let it be that the peace of Christ rules and reigns in her heart. And Father, teach her what that means. Teach her really what that means, Lord, and teach her how to discern the peace of Christ in her heart. Help her to become sensitive in her spirit, Lord God, to your voice directing her and calling her. And, oh God, that you would anoint her and bless her. God, that you would anoint her and bless her regardless of whether she works in a factory, she works on a call center, she works in a field, she works in the ministry. God, anoint her. Help her, Father. You are a light on a hill. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and honor your Father in heaven. Let it be, God, that she's a shining bright light in darkness. Let it be that you speak Isaiah 61 over her, God. Arise and shine. Your light has come, for the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Oh God, let it be that she's a light in a dark, dark place. Her country, just as ours, is filled with darkness. Broken, hurting, deceived hearts that need to know about Jesus. Father, fill her with your spirit. Teach her the importance, Father, of finding you first. Of being filled to overflowing with your spirit, God. That dispels all fear, all worry, all anxiety, all despair, all darkness. Anointing her, God, to be able to be a true light and a strong servant of the Lord. Father, help her to understand patience and the need to wait upon you for every good thing. Teach her, Lord God, how to wait for you for a future spouse. If, in fact, that's what you've called her to. Perhaps, Lord, you call her to contentment and she needs not have one. I don't know. But Lord, I pray you give her the desires of her heart as she delights in you. And I pray you give her patience, help her to learn to inherit all that you have promised for her 
through faith and patience. And God, I thank you for guiding her. I thank you in Jesus' name. I believe you. Lord, I believe you. I believe you and I thank you in advance for answering all of these prayers for her. On behalf of my sister, God, I ask you to look down from heaven upon her and bless her, Jesus, in your beautiful, precious, almighty name. Amen. Persis, sorry for such a long recording, sister. I do hope that this helps you in some ways and gives you some things to think about on how you can continue to um, petition the Lord and, and just bring all of this before Him and find guidance and wisdom in these decisions. And may God bless you, bless you, bless you. Keep your eyes on Him, sister. He can use you in amazing ways, but God needs to strengthen you first, okay? Be patient. God has much work in your heart to do, much work. It typically takes years, and you say, oh, but I don't have years. Oh, yes, you do. Sister, the Lord can bring you to the grave like sheaves gathered in season, old, ripe, good age. He can do all kinds of things, and He can do amazing work in a very short period of time. So just be willing to wait upon the Lord and allow Him to have His way with you. Ask Him. Say, Lord, have your way with me. I surrender all. That positions you to be filled with every good gift from above, every good path, every good direction and guidance. I surrender all. God bless you, dear sister.